Hello, my friends, and welcome to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn Siebert. This is episode number four. Episode number four, this is another audio version um, of the blog post that I put up today, so just going to kind of talk you through it in case you don't have the time to read it. It's a little bit of a lengthy one, uh, so maybe this audio version will work better for you. Um, If this is your first time here, welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, the podcast right now is a couple different things. Um, so every uh, Monday morning, I post a uh, blog post, and then I also do a recording like this where I talk through it in case you don't have the time to read it, don't want to read it, uh, whatever. Uh, we can just kind of talk through it, and I'll keep you company on your drive to work or your drive home or on your lunch break or whenever it is that you're listening uh, to this. And also, um, in September and then in November, uh, maybe might be early December, not sure yet, uh, but there will be an, an interview. So last week I did an interview uh, with Dr. Phil Snyder, who is an advocate for the LGBTQ community. So we talked a lot about um, what he does and we talked about um, some different ways to read uh, verses and stories in the Bible uh, that sometimes the church uses to push uh, the LGBTQ community away. So verses that we would usually use to uh, come against or condemn that community. Um, I asked him, how do we read these verses and understand them in light of uh, welcoming and affirming that community? So that was a really, really cool uh, discussion. Um, I would definitely suggest going and listening to it. Um, It will challenge you for sure, uh, push you, probably encourage you uh, as well. And then in December, maybe late November, early December, sometime around there, uh, there will be another uh, interview. And then starting in January of 2019, um, every month I will do one interview. So I have some really great uh, guests lined up, some friends of mine, some are pastors, um, some authors, uh, really, really cool stuff coming. So uh, 2019, you will have one interview every month, um, and every week there will be an audio uh, version and then uh, for the rest of this year we have the audio versions every week and two interviews. So that's what the podcast is. Uh, what if project? Really simple, really quick. Uh, we explore two questions. Number one, what if there are ways of understanding uh, the Bible and the stories of the Bible that are maybe different than the ways in which we typically do, or maybe the way that we were raised to? Uh, so what if there's just different meanings? to some of the things that we take for granted that we think we know what it means. Uh, So like, what if, you know, the culture and the background of the Bible, the context of the stories uh, really means more to our understanding and application of those things than we ever thought uh, possible. And then number two, uh, what if there are ways of bringing church to people instead of always trying to bring or even sometimes drag people to church? So what does it look like to be a people who actually bring God and bring his love, and bring his message of good news uh, to the world around us. Uh, So that's the What If Project in a glance. Uh, That's the podcast in a glance. Uh, But this is episode number four, and uh, I'm calling it Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, The Rapture, Hell, and Other Things I'm No Longer Certain About. So let's dive into this. So back in October, uh, I took a class in school, and if you don't know, I'm in uh, school at Alliance Theological Seminary, getting my uh, doctorate, uh, my D-min, they call it, the Doctorate of Ministry. Um, the focus is on global Christian 
leadership. And my dissertation is about how the church can use social media and technology, kind of like what we're doing right now, uh, to connect with people and to connect people to God. Uh, So anyway, in October, I took this class and I met Jesus in like these really profound and crazy ways. And I couldn't like really put my finger on it and describe it at the time. But when I left class and I, I finished the reading and I wrote the papers and I talked almost nonstop about the things that I learned, uh, I found that throughout the process, Jesus had dug like so deep into what I thought was my profound theological understanding. And it came out looking like a piece of Swiss cheese, you know, like what I once felt solid about no longer felt solid. Uh, what was once, you know, nice and neat and tidy now is like a complete mess. Uh, what once was seemingly perfected was now full of holes. And what once felt really uncertain or really certain now felt really uncertain. So the funny thing is that I, I went to the class thinking like I was going to be taking this preaching class. Uh, the class was entitled something like uh, communication uh, and evangelism to a new generation or something like that. And so I assumed that the content would revolve around the idea of communicating the Bible to the generation in which we find ourselves in whether that be through preaching, Bible studies, evangelism. You know, I figured they'd talk a lot about the millennial generation. How do we communicate with that group? All that kind of stuff, right? Like that makes sense. But instead, it was a class about how to read and apply the Bible in an ever-changing, ever-moving forward, ever-progressive thinking world, all the while being mindful of and holding in a very high regard uh, the ancient culture in which the Bible was written. Talking about like the culture, the people, the places, the times, the emperors who were ruling, um, the dates in history, what was going on in those dates, what was going on in those times, all those things are of like the utmost importance. And pushing them to the side, like we so often do, can have a drastic and even negative consequences on our understanding of the Bible and God and what it means to be alive in this world. So let me take it a little further just so I can kind of break down why this class was so uh, revolutionary for me. Uh, a big eye-opener for me was when the professor tackled this idea about something that I had like always thought I believed, but was really afraid to voice. Because not only didn't I have words to describe what I was thinking and feeling inside, but I wasn't sure how people were going to respond to it or if they would really understand, right? Like, will people argue with me? Will they laugh at me? Will they say, I'm like this crazy heretic that's gone off the deep end? Um, you know, what's going to happen if I come out with these things that I'm thinking that I don't really have words to describe to begin with. Now, I'm past those fears now, so I'm going to share it with you here. Uh, You can also head over to my YouTube channel and uh, join me as I talk through it, but I'll I'll give you a a short version of it here. Uh, It's called The Idea of the Surplus of Meaning, okay? The Surplus of Meaning. Now, the Surplus of Meaning is a, a philosophical idea from a French philosopher named Paul Ricoeur, which says that when it comes to a text and like a a poem, uh, a story, a fable, a parable, um, the Bible, a collection of books, right? There there are a number of different meanings and understandings hidden within that thing. In other words, the stories and books of the Bible don't just have one meaning buried within them that we have to figure out, discover, and get right. Instead, there are a number of of different meanings hidden within that thing. Uh, meanings that are like almost like pearls that are waiting to be uncovered and, and discovered. 
And so honoring the text, Ricoeur would say, doesn't happen when we approach it forensically, you know, trying to, to dissect it, rip it apart in an effort to find the one real true meaning, and then pushing everyone around us to accept that meaning. But honoring the text, he would say, instead happens when we treat it as like a beautiful world to explore. You know, never knowing, never being ready for whatever new truth might pop out at us around the corner as we dig a little bit deeper, as we peel back another layer. Now, it's important to know uh, what that does and doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean, okay, the surplus of meaning does not mean that we can make the Bible say whatever we want, but it doesn't mean that I can just open up the Bible, I can read something, and I can say, oh, well, I want it to mean this, so that's what it means, okay? That's not at all what we're talking about here. The surplus of meaning, however, does mean that the Bible means everything that it does mean. Nothing more and nothing less. Let me say it like this. The ancient Jewish rabbis, they used to say that the biblical text, and they were talking mainly about their Torah, but we can apply it to the whole Bible that we have now. Okay, The ancient biblical texts, they're like, like a diamond in that depending on how you turn it and in what light it hits it, a new meaning or a new idea or a new thought, a new understanding will be, will be magnified and brought to the surface. Okay, so the text is like a diamond. You turn it different ways, the light reflects in different ways, new meanings pop up. Okay, that's the, the surplus of meaning. Now again, although I always thought this kind of stuff in my head, that's kind of where it stayed in my head because I was, I admit, hesitant to voice such thoughts um, that might be considered like unorthodox, even heretical by the tribe of people that I grew up with. You know, that tribe says there's, there's one way to understand the Bible, right? It says what it says, and it says it clearly. You know, there's no room for debate. There's no room for questioning. And if you doubt, well, you need more faith, right? Read your Bible more, pray more, go to church more, join another Bible study. You've got to believe this in this way, or you're in danger of not really being, quote, saved, which then would mean you're in danger of going to hell, right? So that class, though, that I took in October, man, I don't know. It's like it gave me some sort of divine permission to crack this door open in my heart that I've had nailed shut for a long time and take a deeper look of what is inside of there. And like once it opened, man, I just couldn't get the thing shut again. The door flung open, like outpoured this fire hose of ideas and thoughts um, ideas about how the Bible maybe isn't as clear as I always thought it was. Uh, thoughts about how maybe there are different ways to understand uh, passages and stories that I always thought needed to be understood in one single way. Um, you know, a strong belief that this is all okay because this is how God intends it to be. This is how people all throughout the Bible have always grown closer to God and deeper in their faith, not through systematic answers not through clear-cut doctrines, not through 100% certainty, but through wrestling, questioning, and wondering, like, what if, right? Whether, whether we're talking about Thomas doubting that Jesus had arose again, or David ranting and raving about God in the Psalms and how frustrated he, he was, or Moses arguing with God, or Peter rebuking Jesus, or Paul rethinking and rewriting Jewish history to fit the mold of a crucified and resurrected Messiah that no one was expecting to come, right? All of these people modeled for us what it looks like to grow closer to God through the journey of life, not having a clear-cut answer handed to you, but digging and wrestling and questioning and growing. So, so the class uh, took place in Nyack, New York, which is where the school is. 
And so it came to a close and I set out on like my 10 hour drive back to uh, where we live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I couldn't help on that drive, but dwell on the feeling that my once certain thoughts about God and the Bible and faith and everything else now felt like it was just full of holes. And that even though it felt full of holes, this is the really interesting thing. Somehow and in some way, I felt like so much closer to God than I ever did before. And I tell you all of this, I'm taking a long time to kind of draw out this story because I'm not the first one to experience this like Swiss cheese theology, you know? I'm not the first person to have Jesus punch holes in his theology. Uh, Mark chapter two, we're we're exploring the book of Mark right now. Um, In Mark two, we find Jesus at a place called Capernaum and he's with a huge crowd of people who have gathered around him. And the storyteller tells us that so many people were gathered in the house that Jesus, was, that Jesus was in, that not like another person could possibly fit through the door, right? I mean, they are just wall-to-wall people, flesh on flesh, like there's just a lot of people in this place. And then at some point in the middle of his teaching, the, the Bible tells us that four men arrived at the door carrying their paralytic friend on a mat. Uh, they were hoping to get, get him some face time with Jesus, you know, hopes that he might be able to heal their friend like he had been everybody else. But they weren't able to push their way through the crowd to get to him because there were so many people. So that's when one of them had this idea. Let's dig a hole in the roof, right? Let's just, let's just get a shovel. Let's just dig a hole right in the roof and we'll just lower our friend right in front of Jesus. And that's exactly what they did, which must have been odd, right? Like, can you imagine Jesus teaching? You know, he's talking about his kingdom. He's talking about calling people to follow his way of love and grace and mercy in the world, right? And all of a sudden you hear this digging, right? Boom. Little pieces of dirt from the ceiling, maybe they start to fall on top of his head. Then a little bit of light starts to come through, and then bigger pieces of dirt fall. And all of a sudden, there's this guy, this paralytic guy on a mat, being lowered through the hole. Like it must have been crazy. But what happened next is, is really weird, to be honest, because as soon as the guy was lowered through the hole, Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic man, Son, your sins are are forgiven. Now that, that will mess with your theology. If it doesn't, you're not reading it right. Okay. I grew up in a church hearing every single Sunday that in order for my sins to be forgiven, I, emphasis on I, had to confess my sins and repent. In other words, I got to tell God the things I did wrong, promise to never do them again, and then and only then will I be forgiven. But I guess Jesus didn't read the same Bible that my pastors did, right? Because Mark says that when he saw the faith of the paralytic guy's friends, he looked at the paralytic, probably with a smile on his face, because he knew he was really about to offend the pastors and teachers and religious leaders who were there. He said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Man, if what I learned in church is right, then Jesus got it wrong, right? Because it seems that from this story, a very real claim can be made that the sins and shortcomings and mess-ups of those close to me can be forgiven, not necessarily only by their confession and repentance, but also by my continual efforts to bring them into God's presence at all costs. And so that said, here's a challenge for you. I wonder who in your life is physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually unable to get into the presence of Jesus. 
Like who in your life needs to be carried there in your prayers today? Instead of being told again and again and again and again by maybe you, family, friends, the church, that they need to get their act together and get there on their own. And I wonder if your willingness to carry them there again and again and again might be the very thing that will forever change their life. But that's not even the craziest part of the story, okay? It gets even weirder. Uh, As soon as he told the guy that his sins were forgiven, as expected, like almost as if on cue, the religious leaders, Mark says, began thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God himself? Immediately, Mark says, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The son of man. Now, in Mark, Jesus loves to refer to himself as the son of man, which was actually a character from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, The term appears in Mark 14 times, but was first used in Daniel chapter 7 to describe uh, the true representative of God's people. He was a man who was opposed by evil, vindicated by God, rescued, and then given authority to dispense God's judgment. Now, every Jew who was gathered in that house would have known or at least heard of the term son of man. And they would have been familiar with this idea from Daniel chapter seven. But what I love about this story is that Jesus made Swiss cheese. Here we go again, back to the holes in the theology. Swiss cheese out of those people's theology by removing the idea of judgment from the equation and replacing it with forgiveness of sins. Do you see that? Daniel chapter seven, we find the son of man being empowered to dispense God's judgment upon the evildoers of the earth. But in Mark 2, we find Jesus declaring himself to be the son of man and empowered to dispense God's forgiveness to anyone and everyone who would make their way into his presence. Rather than stick to the script and apply the Daniel 7 scripture in the way that everyone would have expected him to apply it, he instead creatively interpreted the passage for his time and dispensed God's forgiveness on a man who didn't even ask for it. Man, that is so good. I tell you this, because this is a huge piece of what the What If Project is all about. Uh, We're here to creatively interpret the stories and the verses of the Bible uh, that we're so familiar with for this day and this age, all the while giving honor and respect to the times and culture in which they were originally written? What if there's a different way to read them? What if there's a different way to understand them? What if the background of the stories means more than we ever imagined? Now, some people shudder at this idea, uh, but it's nothing new, really, because we see it happening all throughout the Bible all the time. Like, for instance, the early Old Testament passages in Exodus and Leviticus, they make it sound like, you know, like, to God, sacrifices of the utmost importance, right? Sacrifice animals, sacrifice grain, sacrifice crops, sacrifice your children, right? Like Abraham and Isaac, sacrifice. But then comes the prophet Hosea, who says that compassion is more important to God than sacrifice. That's Hosea 6.6. Then it comes Isaiah, in Isaiah chapters 1 and 2, who says that God found the people's sacrifices disgusting when they made sacrifices to God without showing care for the oppressed, right? So compassion and caring for the oppressed is now more important than sacrifice. 
Then came David, who said in Psalm 51 that God takes no pleasure in sacrifices, but loves a contrite heart. And then, of course, Jesus, who said that sacrifice wasn't necessary anymore. Then to back up his claim, he went into the temple and literally threw everyone out who was selling animals to be sacrificed. Do you see the progression in their understanding, right? In Exodus and Leviticus, the people believed that sacrifice was the most important thing ever. But then came Hosea, Isaiah, Hosea, Isaiah, David, Jesus, even Paul, poking holes in everyone's theology by creatively interpreting the old laws of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy for a new time. Uh, One could make a case that these stories are teaching us important things about God, and I wouldn't deny that. But I think a stronger case can be made that such a progression in the Bible exists solely, most importantly, to teach us that our faith in God and our understanding of God is healthy, not when it's stagnant and still and content, but when it's moving forward. It's growing, it's changing, it's evolving, it's pushing back on the status quo. It's refusing to stay still. It's challenging the norm. Now, there are some of you out there who are reading this, and like you're at the point where what you learned about God and the Bible growing up, and the list of doctrines and um, ideas that you were told that you had to believe and you had to sign up for in order to be accepted into the club and given a ticket to heaven when you die, for some of you, like that stuff isn't working anymore. And I want to tell you that it's okay. It's not really working for me anymore either, which is part of the reason why we're here having this discussion, why the What If Project is up and running. It's okay to no longer be certain of what you believe. It's okay to be unsure of some of the stuff you read in the Bible. Like It's okay to think that maybe the world didn't begin in Genesis 1, but maybe science has a point and maybe it did begin with a big bang millions, billions of years ago. Like, it's okay to think that the stories of God and the Old Testament killing people are ridiculous. It's okay to think that maybe Noah's Ark was just a story, not something that really happened. It's okay to think that maybe getting to heaven when you die isn't the point of it all. And maybe that Jesus, you know, that was never his point to begin with. Uh, it's okay to believe, uh, to not believe in a rapture where Jesus is going to return and take his people away while everyone else burns, right? It's okay to not believe in a hell where God sends people to be tortured for all of eternity because they believed the wrong thing about Jesus. It's okay. What's not okay, though, is to throw all of that stuff out and never pick it up again. Why? Because the world, honestly, the world needs you. The world needs people like you who can bring unique perspective and understanding to all of those ideas and more and help turn the, the, the diamond of Christianity, the diamond of spirituality, in a slightly different direction so that the light hits it in a slightly different way and gives us an entirely new pearl of understanding. Um, that's one of the things that I'm aiming to do here at the What If Project, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're here to check it out, that you are here to help. Thank you so much for stopping by the What If Project podcast today. It was great to have you here. And I really just appreciate your your support. And hey, if this encouraged you at all, if it challenged you, if it pushed you, uh, challenged you in your perspective and how you understand the Bible, I would just ask that you head over to your podcast uh, listening platform of choice, whether that be iTunes, 
Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is that you're listening to this now, and uh, leave some feedback, leave a rating. Um, Those ratings definitely help because it helps uh, bump the podcast up a little bit in iTunes, Um, and it gives people also a little bit of a kind of a look as to what to expect when they read what other people are saying about it. So if you could do that for me, that would be fantastic. Also head over to the Facebook page and um, you can go to Facebook, type in What If Project, the page will pop up, give it a like, feel free to join in whatever kind of discussion may be going on there. And also keep an eye out uh, for the upcoming online small group. Right now we're in the middle of one for Mark. Uh, There will be coming another one later on, probably very early in the new year. So if you'd like to sign up for that, um, all of the things will be up, pointing you in the right direction, and it would be great to see you there. So again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.